Welcome back to Innovation Big and Small. Hi there, Jim. Hi, Squirrel. How are you today? I'm doing great. And, and one reason is that I kind of picked up a pattern and then I mentioned it to you and I thought, oh, we should, we should talk about it because we both noticed this pattern. And the pattern is that family-owned businesses, small, privately held family-owned businesses are really interesting. And they're kind of between our big and small. So maybe this we, we'll call this innovation medium or something like that, because um, uh, I, I've just uh, got a client, I've, I've had a couple before, who are this um, kind of long-term, uh, much different from my normal startups. Uh, I've been running for a long time. In my case, uh, you know, the, the person who's running it today is a family member of the people who started it. Um, uh, it's a company that's not traditional tech, which is often my startup focus is people are doing, you know, applying money, uh, uh, machine learning to money laundering and that kind of stuff, which is great. These folks are much more traditional. Um, but then you had this uh, kind of searing insight. And I said, stop telling me. We, we got to put that on the <laughs> podcast because I, I want to hear your, your view because you've worked with some of these people and you, you, you thought they had a, um, some characteristics in common. What, 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 are you, what have you noticed about this kind of uh, medium-sized family-owned business? Yeah, so uh, I don't even know if I'd say medium-sized because I've worked with uh, privately held companies between $300 million and uh, $3 billion. Okay, that's a lot bigger so than mine. Yeah, they're large, uh, privately held firms. But one of the things that I've noticed is, in some ways, they're uh, more able to innovate for the long term, because the family that owns it is worried about the next generation. And uh, they're worried about the sustainability of the firm, the long term sustainability of the firm. They're not worried about whether they're going to hit miss the quarterly income by two cents. Ah, I get it. Yeah. And in my world, they're not worried about raising the next round. So, so in my world, everybody's worried about series B, you know, how are we going to get there? We'll, we'll, you know, grow the company. Don't uh, double take the hindmost. We're just going to get there to the next, the next round. And in your world, it's wait, you know, how can we keep the stock price up? But these guys don't have that limitation. That's really a useful insight. Yeah, and they're, uh, you know, and it's, uh, you know, it's fairly consistent that, uh, you know, it's not, they're watching the finances very closely, mm -hmm. but they're willing to take the bet. Uh, and I've heard people in some of these co companies comment about their work in innovation and uh, the owner actually saying, you know, yeah, you're working on my uh, grandchildren's heritage. You know, that's what, uh, what I need to have done. And so they still are uh, succumb to issues with the business cycle, uh, but there's a, a longer uh, a longer term view. So they're ready to invest more in in in, in a longer with a longer time horizon. Yes, that's that's my uh, impression. And uh, one of these companies has been around for more than a hundred years. And I, I guess I'll, I'll one uh, notice another thing. Uh, particularly about uh, one of my clients, they're very focused not just on their business but on the communities in which they work. Sure. So yeah. uh, they live there know, and they go, care about it. Yep. They care about it, and you go into the um, into the town where they're working, which is now kind of a company town, and it's like you went back in time because it's still thriving uh, because the company has not outsourced everything to China has not. Uh, you know, sought to uh, cut the uh, cost out of every aspect if they can do so, uh, if it would mean causing jobs, not only within their company, 
but with maybe one of their long-term partners. So it's a, it is very interesting. Um, obviously, they still have to compete in the real world. And that's why these guys brought me in, because, because they're interested in getting a technical advantage and they're not seeing it and they're not seeing the benefits of the technology that they could be using and they, they'd like to do better. And that sounds like a, a great outcome, but I hadn't really picked that up as a pattern that the, that because they're long-term investors in, um, rooted in the community with a, a longer time horizon, it's easier to invest in innovation. Great. Well, then uh, you've, you've just given me further um, validation that that's a, a group of companies that would be really interesting to talk to more about uh, how they could innovate, um, and in my case, innovate technically. And I think the, the other aspect of it is because of the longevity, they know people, they know the families of people, they know. So there's a, you know, there's something that makes it a more human organization or less uh, mercenary, if you want to use that term. Uh, less mercenary organization. Um, at first, I would have thought, well, their resources are going to be more constrained and they're, uh, they'll be less likely to invest. You know, you may spend a lot of time, come up with good ideas and be uh, less likely to get an investment. But that does not seem to be the case. In, in the cases I've worked with, they've been willing to invest in uh, sort of cutting edge stuff that will give them a competitive advantage. Got it. And, and with a longer time horizon, you could do several of those experiments. You could try uh, uh, several different technologies or several different approaches or new business models. And because your time horizon is not next quarter or next funding round, um, you, you, you can allow a couple of them to fail. And that's yes, got to be yeah. a more helpful attitude. So how could, uh, uh, now I'm reflecting on how, how could startups and how could larger organizations get some of this value? And the thing that seems most valuable is is um, the, the longer time horizon. Yeah, I mean, I think part of it has to be, uh, you know, just asserting it. I know some large companies like Intel under uh, Andy Grove and Amazon all the time uh, just assert we're not going to give you quarterly earnings. We're not going to worry about quarterly earnings. We're going to worry about the long-term health of the company. But that takes a very strong CEO. And in fact, you know, it's uh, people who do the financial engineering to manage steady earnings growth get paid a lot by Wall Street. Stock goes up, options go up, et cetera. So it's a really uh, hard thing to do. Yep, you're giving up a lot by uh, taking that stance. Yeah, you are. I, I just I sort of feel like the leadership uh, and the boards need to uh, emphasize more the uh, the role of a CEO, not just in the today's business, but in uh, building tomorrow's business. So I wonder, I've often wondered whether different ways of selecting board members uh, or different uh, ways of compensating people. So where long-term incentives mean that the op you get paid as a CEO for the five years after you left, not for the five years while you were there. Uh, I can't remember at Amazon, I know that they don't uh, look at the the your quarterly or your annual results uh, entirely. That's not the only thing they look at when they're rating you because they say, well, you're, what happened last year is what the work you did two years ago or three years ago. And so why would I uh, want to compensate you as if it were for the work you did this year? And the more thinking that can go around better compensation systems, I think the better off we might be. Got it. 
if you're the owner, the long-term comp is the long-term comp. It's the value of the company. So, uh, so you can't game the system. If you game the system, you're fooling yourself. It's like cheating yourself at solitaire. Uh, the question that you ask is a good one. How do you make that work where the ownership is different from the management? Yeah. And, and in startups, the good thing is that the ownership is in some sense aligned with the management because the founders have the biggest stake always. They, mm-hmm. The VCs are very thoughtful about making sure that they have a preferred way out and they have um, uh, preferred shares in the other mechanisms that allow them to reduce risk and they make sure the founder's as exposed as possible so that the founder will act as if it were his or her own business. Right. But the funny thing is that they also then put all this pressure on to show immediate results. And uh, the company is very worried about runway and making the next round and so on. And then that leads to less innovation for the reasons we've just been describing. So I wonder if there's a model of running startups so they, they don't necessarily have to be profitable. We talked about profitable startups as a, as a different approach and, and more innovative as well. But I wonder if there's a mechanism of running startups with VC investment that still allows them to be longer term focused. You'd just have to give them a lot of money and wait. And I don't know whether um, there are a lot of VCs around with that, that long a time horizon. But, but they, they might be good if there were some. Startups that find a way to self-fund I think probably fit in that category. They're very cash constrained at times, yeah. But you know they're and very cautious, therefore, about where they invest. But also, uh, you know, they fund themselves so that they uh, have the freedom to invest where they think is most important to do so. Anyway, it's a. I think the board boards and uh, compensation for large companies is a broken problem. You know, a broken system. It, you know, it, it's not working well. It's working very well for all the insiders who are on the boards and on each other's boards and getting hundreds of thousands of dollars for uh, going to six board meetings or whatever. But it's not working well for shareholders to, uh, uh, you know, for the long term returns for shareholders. Or, or for communities, as you mentioned, that the, the companies Absolutely. aren't rooted and they tend to outsource and, and strip the assets and so on. Okay. Absolutely. Well, that's a fascinating point of view, and it's not one I had thought of, so I thought it'd be good if we shared it with listeners. If listeners have had experience with um, startups or large companies or mid-sized companies that have this kind of um, long-term horizon, this long-term thinking, that would be really interesting to hear about. I'm going to go look for some more of these family-owned, privately-held businesses because they seem really interesting, and I'm having a blast with uh, the client I've just started working with and, and the others I've worked with before. And of course, if listeners are interested in hearing us again, we'll be here again next week. We're pretty reliable. We took a break for a bit, but we're back. And you can hit the subscribe button and hear us again next week. And we'll be talking, probably pick up our small is beautiful topic, but we just got excited about this one this week. All right. Thanks, Jim. Talk to you later. Bye-bye.